Welcome to a special series for the Bulldog Educator. We're taking a step aside from our normal season episodes and doing a special series based on the question, where does the voice of the marginalized belong in education? We're going to have six episodes, including this one, where we'll have guests with expertise in K-12 and higher ed. In this episode, I'm going to dive into the context for the next five episodes, so stay with me as we kind of explore what will be going on for the five episodes after that. So you may be wondering, why am I doing something different than what my normal um, approach is? Well, as I've told you um, in the past and shared on social media, I am changing the direction of the podcast. But this particular series is actually being done for a graduate level class that I'm taking presently. And it actually is going to serve two purposes because I am doing this for one of my classes and then I'm going to actually use some of the evidence that is pulled from this from the interviews that I do for an autoethnography. And yes, that word has taken me a long time to say without stumbling over it. Um, But this is based on two questions that I've kind of worked through in these two classes as I go through this interview that I'm going to be doing in the following four episodes and then be doing a summary or reflection episode for the sixth episode. But the two questions that I'm really seeking some answers to are how do teachers from marginalized groups report that PLCs have impacted their professional practice? And how do teachers report that PLCs support or limit the use of their individual's perspectives and voice in K-12 school spaces? So throughout that po- the podcast, I'm going to explore PLCs and collaborative spaces in the traditional form and how that may or may not hinder the voice of marginalized persons in the meetings and impact the voices of the students that are represented in these discussions or these PLCs. My goal is to gain perspectives from four educators in different educational environments. My first guest, which will be in episode two, is Matthew Katzen from former director at Teach for America. In the third episode, I'm going to be interviewing Ada Kettle, Spanish teacher and ELL coordinator at South Conway County School District. In my fourth episode, I'm going to be interviewing Jasmine Wilson, Moralton High School business teacher, career and technology advisor, and dean of students as at uh, South Conway County uh, School District at Moralton High School, as well as she serves as an adjunct at UACCM and is a member of the Moralton City Council. My fifth guest, or my fifth episode, is going to be Dr. Evett, Evett, excuse me, Dr. Yvette Allen Moore, who is founder and CEO of the ESL Education Services and New York Tech's inaugural Assistant Dean for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. The questions that I'll ask them will center around what they understand PLCs to be, how PLCs or something like it have helped or hindered them and their students, particularly BIPOC students, and how the current PLC structures impact their voice. 
I will introduce each of them and give them a little, you guys a little bit more information about them. Um, and then I'll go through a series of questions. Each of them will have three relatively deep questions that I'll have that will follow with research. And um, what I'd like to do today is just do some clarification for you. So when we talk about marginalized, there are a lot of different things that people can say are marginalized. I first want to identify what are marginalized in regard to just in general, what is a marginalized group? So my definition that I'm taking this from is going to be from the Art of Education University. Um, they have blog posts there and there is a blog post on the topic of differentiation under the title, How to Better Support Your Marginalized Students, written by Nick Gill. And it was written in 2019. And I'll put the link in my show notes for you. But Nick goes on and says, so what is marginalized identity? And I want to explain to that to you guys as my listeners so you have a good context for what we're talking about as we move forward with these discussions with these different experts. So the first step to supporting students is understanding your marginalized students. A student's identity is made up of several factors and has many layers. The extent to which a student is impacted by each of their identities also varies based on their lived experience. And so according to the Charter for Compassion, a marginalized identity is anyone who feels or is underserved, disregarded, ostracized, harassed, persecuted, or sidelined in a community. Possible groups include, but are not limited to, immigrants, refugees and migrants, women and girls, victims of human trafficking, people struggling with mental illness, children and youth, people differing sexual, having differing sexual orientation, such as the LGBTQIA community, and people of differing religions, people with developmental delays, those with physical disability, incarcerated people and their families, people released from incarceration, people of low socioeconomic status, unemployed people, people of particular ethnicity, country of origin, people with differing political orientation. So that just helps us to identify that. And so when I speak about the marginalized groups, I actually fall under that as an identity under women and girls and actually in a couple of other places that were mentioned here. However, those that I'm interviewing represent a marginalized group as well. So today I'm going to speak as an expert in my own experiences, but then I'm not speaking for those that I'm going to be interviewing later. But I wanted to share with you the questions that I am going to be asking most of them are a modified version because um, Dr. Yvette she is coming from higher ed so the questions are changed a little bit for her but these will be the questions that I ask of Matthew Caston, of Aida Kettle and of Jasmine Wilson. So the first question is what is your understanding of PLCs and what are your personal feelings about PLCs in regard to how your own voice is honored in your organization's PLC? So I've been doing PLCs since about 2008. Um, we were under the PLCs where we had the four questions. If you're not familiar with the four questions, just Google four questions PLC. 
and we had agreed upon norms and there were certain things we could do um, with the PLCs, but we had a very strict protocol that we were required to follow. In fact, we had a form that we filled out when we met as a grade level PLC because I taught in elementary, so we met as a grade level. And we had to fill out that form. And what it occurred to me is that whenever it went to, uh, what are you doing for the kids that didn't get it? It was the, always the same group of kids. And it just seemed like this was a vicious cycle. Um, it didn't seem like the guaranteed viable curriculum that we had to follow had the space or nor did we have the time in our day in order to address those kiddos that weren't getting it. And then at the same time, we were struggling on the other end, what do you do with the kids that do? And there wasn't a lot of support for that. And it seemed like when that was voiced, um, it wasn't heard. And this was very frustrating for me um, in PLCs. And over the years, I haven't really seen a lot of adjustment happen in regard to this and how we make sure that the voice of the teachers is honored and that the PLC itself, the rules in place and the structure don't become more important than the autonomy and the voice of teachers. So the second question that I'm going to be exploring with my experts and I'm going to be asking myself is the PLC has six characteristics and four questions that are meant to drive PLC teams. What do you see that is beneficial and what do you see is lacking for you personally and the bi BIPOC educators? So for me, um, what I saw was beneficial was the structure, but I felt that it was too structured and there wasn't enough uh, consideration for how to integrate the things that best serve the kids. There were some times in PLCs that we really wanted to get back into talking about the teaching aspect and what we were doing and how we were doing it um, and really maybe examine how we would move forward and what we could do differently. But it was so driven by the formative assessment or the summative assessment that was the point of discussion that it's like we had to look back and not look forward and it really wasn't allowed for us to stop and say, you know, let's write that down and let's plan for the next thing. We had to keep moving forward to complete the form. And that usually took up the whole planning period and that squelched any authentic or original thinking or uh, innovation that could happen. So that really like while I like the structure because it kept us on task. I felt like it was lacking in the opportunity for us to voice what concerns we had. What I've also realized, and I didn't know at the time, but now I understand it, is that it was really rooted in a deficit model. And we were looking at what the kids couldn't do instead of looking at what gifts do our kids have and how do we somehow enhance that through our teaching. And so what I see lacking personally and for BIPOC educators or and even the marginalized is there wasn't an opportunity to have that exploration that creativity and to really see what could we do to make this an asset mindset approach instead of a deficit mindset approach so this third question that 
is that I have that I'm going to be asking is how is current PLC process impact your voice in education and how does it affect the voice of other BIPOC educators and what is the impact on student voice particularly marginalized identities and I think for me I started to learn to be silent I at first would voice um, my concern about things and I would try to change them but if you haven't noticed since 1997 the four questions haven't changed yet since 1997 we've talked more about how we need to support students with goal setting how we need to help students with certain skill sets that are technology based um, how we need to help students with executive functioning skills and even though that udl has been around for 40 years we're suddenly realizing the benefits of universal design for learning and how we need to approach with multiple means of representation, multiple means of engagement, and then also multiple means of action and expression with the students. Yet the PLC doesn't make any kind of, of flexibility for that. And in fact, um, Fisher and Frey came out with an article in 2017, and it's like, how do you add equity to your, um, to your PLC? And um, they only asked five, they only asked a fifth question. They didn't even change the questions that they had. And the five questions were, what are, where are we going? Where are we now? How do we move learning forward? What did we learn today? Who benefited and who did not benefit? And they said that that was sufficient to address equity, which I really think that equity and dealing with um, inherent or implicit bias and just realizing how we need to have an asset mindset cannot be addressed through those five questions. Um, so that's just a part of what I just discovered as I went through this. Now, these were the three questions that I asked. Obviously, you know the three questions now and you can be contemplating those. I encourage you if you want to respond to reach out um, at um, with email at the bulldog educator at the bulldog, or excuse me, the bulldog educator at the bold. Let me start again to reach out at the bulldog edu at the bulldog edu.org. And you can email me questions. You can also get on social media. Um, the bulldog edu is on Twitter, it's also on Facebook, and you can find it on. Um, Instagram, or you can reach out to me, Kirsten Wilson on LinkedIn and send me a message that way. If you have questions or you'd like to respond, I'd like to include those responses in my final episode, the sixth episode, where I reflect on my visitors that came to speak, um, those guests and reflect on what they've said and just what final resolution, uh, recollections and other things that have come to mind as I've done this process. I hope you enjoyed this discussion and I look forward to you guys coming to hear the other episodes. This episode will be released on March 30th and then following week after that will be episode one followed or excuse me episode two with Matthew Caston. Episode three will be with Aida Kettle Episode four with Jasmine Wilson. Episode five will be with Dr. Dr. Yvette. 
and then I will have the wrap up in episode six. So you should have an entire month of listening from the end of March all the way through April of this special episode or this special session or season um, that we're doing, focusing on the question, where does the voice of the marginalized belong? Thanks so much for listening. We look forward to hearing from you next week.